Amen. I know 2020 uh, was terrible for everybody, but it was worse for Will. Um, Will went into basic training on January 15th, and he didn't know, none of us knew, that he was going to be gone for more than eight weeks. Eight eight weeks in, you're supposed to have graduation. But seven weeks in, uh, the COVID pandemic really kind of hit. And so his, his class was the first class to not get to have graduation. He had done thousands of push-ups so that he could earn an extra day off to, to be with us in San Antonio. He didn't get that. We didn't get to see him. He had to go straight into tech school. To go into tech school, he had to be quarantined for 14 days. Nobody knew what to do. He actually heard somebody on the radio say, we don't know what to do with these people. And so they put him in a room, and they said, uh, you can't have your phone, you have to stand, and you can't talk for eight hours a day. You can talk, I'm sorry, but you can't look at your phone. They're in a game room, you can't play the games, uh, because they didn't know what to do with them. They had no idea. He, he, first of all, he had to be in his room for, for 23 and a half hours a day. Then he had to go spend a month doing this kind of complete waste of time until his tech school started. And so he didn't get home until all. And when he came home, he, he surprised me one Sunday after church. And, um, and this embrace that you've seen, that, that's, that's what the surprise was like. After eight months, that's what the reunion was like. And there's something about that that just gets to the core of our souls, isn't it? There's something about those kind of reunions that are just wholehearted, completely, utterly right when that thing that you've been longing for is there and you, you are just hugging each other so tightly you're trying to feel like you're trying to pull them into your heart and complete you. And you are delighted in this person. And this person is delighted in you. And you never want it to end. There's something about that that just appeals to the very core of your being, isn't it? And the reason why is because that is what you are created for. Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17. He says, I want to be back with you the way you were. we were in the beginning when I was in you and you were in me. When, when there was no... There was no distinction between us. Of course, we're separate persons, but there's no clear place where I end and you begin. We are in each other. We are face to face before each other. We are just taking deep joy and pleasure in each other. And then he says, Father, I want them to be there with us, in us. They in each other, they in me, me in you. That, the reason why you exist is to experience this moment, that kind of intimate, precious, vulnerable, wholehearted moment for all eternity with God. And the good news that I have for you is, if you are in Christ, you have it. If you are in Christ, you've already begun to taste it, you've already begun to experience it, and nothing can take it away from you. Nothing can take that away from you. And what all you're called to do from now until the moment you experience it fully is A, protect it. 
Don't let anybody tell you you have to earn it. Don't let anybody tell you you can lose it. You protect it. You protect it from everybody else, and you protect it from yourself. Protect that and share it. Paul's going to tell us that religion and immorality amount to nothing. The only thing that matters is that moment expressing itself in love. Expressing itself in how we love each other. Protect it and share it. Jesus has done everything that has to be done to completely fill you with the everything that God is. Protect it, enjoy it, and share it. Please stand as we read from Galatians chapter 5. Beginning with verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Uh, a little leaven, it leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Uh, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Thus far the reading of God's word, it is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb and is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. Please be seated. Christ has done everything necessary to reunite us with God, to experience Him fully. Protect that. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to earn it or that you can lose it. Paul uses, Paul uses the word freedom here. And the word freedom is a beautiful and wonderful word, but somehow it's kind of misunderstood. Um, modernly, freedom is kind of the word in our culture that it almost has a hard edge to it, you know, like, you can't tell me nothing, I'm free! You know, or, uh, I'm, you know, my, I don't have to go home for Christmas, I'm free to do whatever I want! You know, I'm, I'm a full-grown man, I'm free! 
and and that's not what we're talking about at all. <laughs> There's not uh, this this freedom that Paul is um, describing to us is not the freedom to you know celebrate your independence and rub it in everybody else's face and and dare somebody to come and, and get it. This is freedom to be what you were created to be. You see, the life of an unbeliever, the life before you meet Jesus, is a life of never actually getting to be what you were created to be. You're, you're enslaved to sin. You're enslaved to these, these things that you're seeking after and you, and you want, but they never quite fulfill you. you you're always searching after that, that thing out there that you are so sure when you get it, you will finally be complete. You will finally be, be, be fulfilled, and you never quite get it. Uh, and, and you're a slave to the race. You're a, you're a slave to the chase after. But once you're in Christ, you receive a love and a joy and a fulfillment. And you know that this is, this is everything. This is all there is. And you get to be, for the first time, you get to be what you were created to be. You get to be loved. You get to know God. You get to be known by God. You get to see his smile face to face. You get to feel it. That's what you're created for. That's true freedom. The freedom to be what you were created to be. And Paul says, once you have that, don't let anybody take it. Freedom has to be defended. Freedom has to be protected. He says protect it. Don't lose it. The, the, the burden is on you to protect it. And, and there's, there's different things we have to protect it from. First and foremost, we have to protect it uh, from those who would try to tell us we have to earn it. We have to uh, remember that the danger of losing Christ to the law, to obedience, to religion to the danger of losing Christ in this enormous mass of Christianity that we live in. And we just, we don't see it. And, and he says the burden is really on you to protect it. I love the way he says it in Colossians. The same thought, but he says it a different way. He says, don't let anybody judge you. It's kind of the opposite of what you would think, right? He's, you kind of expect him to say, don't judge anybody. Jesus said that. He didn't have to repeat it. He says, don't let anybody judge you. You're in Christ. And if you're not doing it the way other people want them to want you to do it, that's okay. But don't you let anybody say that if you really want to be a Christian, you need to do X. Or if you want to be, and, and, and some of you have said this, right? Let's just be honest. Some of you have said, you know, so-and-so, she's a good Christian. As opposed to, what exactly do you have to do to be a bad one? Are you a bad Christian? Do you not have all of Jesus? And we have to fight that temptation. We have to fight that, that belief that somehow there's this ranking of Christians and the, and the missionaries, man, they're at the top. And, and the people who just go to worship once a week, they're at the bottom. That is a lie. It's a lie. You're in Christ. You can't be more in Christ. You have it all. Receive that. Accept that. Believe that. 
The burden is on you to protect it because there's a, there's a slavery of Christian works that is waiting, it, it, it's waiting to, to take you in. It will do it. You will never quite get there. You're always going to be trying to get better, and you'll never quite get there. And, and the reason why you'll never quite get there is because you weren't designed to get there on your own. You weren't designed to. You were designed to enjoy God's grace. And it's, it's hard to enjoy God's grace when we're trying so badly not to need it. Bianca reminded me of this yesterday. She, when, when we had littles around the house, and uh, she would always kind of do something. You know, every day she would just not be that perfect mom that only she thought she needed to be. And uh, every day I would remind her, honey, if you did it perfectly, you wouldn't need Jesus. If you did it perfectly, you wouldn't need Jesus. And, and, and he's there, and he's always there, and he's in every moment. And he's specifically in those moments when you fail. But a lot of times we don't see him. We don't receive him because we're so mad at whoever kept us from being perfect that day or at ourselves for not being perfect that day. One day... We, uh, in our first house, we had wooden floors in the kitchen. I don't recommend that, um, but whatever. And um, Brundage had just gotten to the age, our, our oldest, had just gotten to the age where he could pull himself up on things. Couldn't walk yet, but he could pull himself up. And, and we were not yet used to how high he could reach. And so he could reach to the top, a counter. He could reach to the counter, not what was on the counter. And the orange juice carton was on the very edge, and he could reach to it. He couldn't do anything with it when he got it. And so he kind of half-pulled it, and it, it started just blop, blop, blop. And, and Bianca and I hear the sound of orange juice hitting the wood floor, and she takes off running, and she hits the orange juice and slides into the dishwasher, and the, the door of the dishwasher comes over, and there's a huge clatter, and Brian is just terrified, sitting in orange juice, and he starts crying, and and Bianca goes, honey, it's okay, it's okay, it's my fault, it's my fault. And he goes, it's okay, mommy, I forgive you. Isn't that a precious moment? That's, that's just the gospel right there waiting on you. But, it, but ask a question, right? Do you really think this is your fault? Can you forgive yourself for this? Do you think you've ruined something? Because if you, if you do, you can't laugh. And if you can't laugh at yourself. You really, you're just not ready to receive Jesus yet. You're taking yourself too seriously. Can you receive him in those moments? You can only receive him when you stop trying to perfect yourself and you allow him to perfect you. And, and Paul says some pretty strong words about it, doesn't he? He says you've been cut off from Jesus. He says the cross is of no value to you. And uh, and I think there's two, there's two things you need to see in that. One is, it is possible for believers, for people who are in Jesus, to, to not get the value out of Christ that's there for them. Um, there's a great scene in uh, The Last Battle, which is the final of the Chronicles of Narnia. And it's about these kids who find themselves in this strange, faraway land uh, that is also very, very near, called Narnia. And God figure in that book is a lion, if you haven't read it. And uh, in the very, one of the very last scenes, um, the lion looks at them and he says to them, my children, you don't seem as happy as I want you to seem. 
And, and I think Jesus looks at us a lot of times and says that. You're just, you're just not as happy as I want you to be. Are you, are, you, are you under the impression that I'm keeping something from you? Are you under the impression that, that you've disappointed me today? Are you under the impression that Christianity is going to lose? What, what is keeping you from being as happy? He says he wants joy inexpressible, filled with glory. Actually, he doesn't say he wants that. He says he's given you everything you need for joy inexpressible, filled with glory. All you need is him. So there is there is that. I think I think what Paul is one of the things Paul is saying is um, if it, it is possible to be a Christian, to be in Christ, but not get the full value of being in Christ. The other thing he's saying, he, he very specifically he says, You who want to be made righteous by your works, you who want to, to do this, be be justified by your own efforts have been severed from Christ. You're not in him. You're still cut off. And we have to acknowledge that there are a whole, there's always been a, a whole column of people who have been in the church since this very beginning. Paul's talking to them in, you know, 20 years after Jesus' death, and I'm still talking to them now. There's a whole group of people who honestly just believe in their heart of hearts that what God expects of them is that they be good and if they're good enough he's going to receive them and they don't understand this whole faith thing and they're not going to give up on their own efforts because what that's that's for the weak and I'm not weak and I'm just going to be good enough. And you, and you don't understand, A, you just don't understand the whole picture. You don't understand the full picture of what God is doing and what sin has done to you. And therefore, you're, you're just going the wrong direction. And you can run as fast as you want to the wrong direction. You're never going to get there. I don't care if the world is around. You're never going to get there. Because at the very heart of this this belief that I just have to be good enough is independence. And at the very heart of what you're created to be is dependence. And trying harder and harder and harder to be independent of God will never make you dependent on God. Trying harder and harder and harder to fulfill yourself will never make you be fulfilled by Him. He wants you to love him. That's what I've been trying to communicate to you through everything we've done over the last several weeks. Uh, through the call to worship, what was the very first thing in the Old Testament? What was the very first thing that those who lived in Jerusalem would hear every morning? Someone would walk out from the temple and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Do you hear that? Loving yourself harder is never going to make you love him. He wants you in a relationship with him. And trying to be gooder and gooder and gooder doesn't get you there. It, at the end of the day, you're trying to serve yourself by being good. 
You're trying to serve yourself by being good. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, old Baptist evangelist, used this story, and I, I think it's as good as any. He he talked about a king uh, coming out, riding out into the the lands uh, around his castle, and a farmer came up to him with a carrot, a big old carrot. And he said, King, this is the best carrot I've ever grown. It's the best carrot I'm ever going to grow. And I want you to have it. And the king graciously took it, and then he said to him, I've noticed you. I've noticed how well you tend your crops and how faithfully you farm your land. And, And I've got a field that's right next to yours. Do you know it? And, of course, the man knew it because it was 20 times the size of his. And he said, I want you to have it. It just... It's yours, because I know you'll take care of it. Now, on the, on the uh, wagon, the, the chariot, whatever it was, the, what do you call a really nice carriage, on the carriage was one of his courtiers who hears this, hmm, one gift times 20. I like that number. So the next day, when, when the king is, is in the courtyard of his castle, the courtier comes with this beautiful white horse, and he says uh, to the king, Sir, this is the most beautiful horse in my stable. It's the most beautiful horse we've ever bred or, or that I will ever breed, and I want you to have it. And the king said, thank you, and walked off. And the courtier had this look of dismay on his face, and the king said to him, when that farmer gave me the carrot, he was giving it to me. When you gave me this horse, you were giving it to yourself. You were giving it to me so that I would give you something better. Why does God not receive our efforts to perfect ourselves? Because we're doing it to try to get him to give us something. If you only love me for my money, you don't love me. You love my money. If you're only obeying me in an effort to get me to to let you into heaven, then you don't love me. And that is where it starts. You haven't started in the right place. You are going the wrong direction. And today, maybe today is the day when you need to just say, I can't do it. I'm going to stop trying to perfect myself. And I'm going to receive what Christ has done for me. What, what do you have to do to, to get God to love you and to receive you? Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to earn it. And just receive it. The first way we can lose the, the freedom, the joy of Christianity is to, to try to earn it, to forget that it's given. And we have to protect that. But there's another way. The enemies uh, to our faith aren't just out there in the church. The enemies to our faith are in here. And the Apostle Paul says, not only uh, are you in danger of losing Christ, you're also in danger of losing each other. Because you, uh, you can't use this freedom to indulge sin. And sometimes we do that, especially uh, when, there's, when you have a little bit of a rebellious nature like me. Sometimes uh, you, you, get this, you get this temptation to use, to use uh, your freedom as an opportunity to to indulge the flesh. And you forget that our sin entangles us. And, and sometimes we, we, we just we forget what we have. 
there's a uh, parable that Jesus taught, tells. I used to always read it to my students when they would graduate when I was a campus minister. And it's a parable of, of these seeds that go on different kind of soils. And there's rocky soil where the word never penetrates. And there's shallow soil where the word penetrates for a little while. And then it's wilted, wilts and dies. And then there's really good soil where the, where the, where the word penetrates and it grows. But weeds grow up right along with it. And the weeds choke out the word. And he says those weeds are the cares of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and anxieties. Deceitfulness of wealth. And it's very easy for us to just end the the hustle and the bustle and the treadmill of life to begin living for uh, our wealth, living for our reputation, living for our pleasures, and forgetting and let those things get in between our enjoyment of God. We're not separated from Him, but we are not enjoying Him either. And we just lose it. We lose ourselves and we lose Him. It's um, it's, it's like it's just we just forget where we were. We forget we forget who we are. I uh, and we look back. I had a friend who was a lawyer, and, and lawyers are wonderful people sometimes. Um, but he was a believer, and they really are. I don't. I, it's easy. There's certain professions that it's just kind of easy to throw dirt on. It's stupid. You know, there's good lawyers and bad lawyers, just like there's good preachers and a lot of bad ones. And um, but he was, and he was a good man, but a terrible lawyer. And he said that. He admitted that. Uh, and he, he recognized that his 30 years spent practicing law had been 30 years dedicated to himself, to building up his reputation, building up his wealth. And he lost everything. He referred to those 30 years, um, and he was a Christian the whole time, but he referred to those 30 years as the years the locust ate. He just let the weeds choke out all the value, all the fruit of being in Christ. There was no love, and there was no joy, and there was no peace. And, and that's a real temptation for us. It's a, it, 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 there's all kinds of ways that our, we forget that our sin entangles us. And we need to let our, the, the joy we have in Jesus and the, and the celebration and the, the, the wonderful of God's embrace inspire us not to let anything come in between us. If you're enjoying this wonderful embrace, why would you want anything to come in between you and Him? And sometimes we're just, we're just tempted to look away. We're tempted to look away. We have the tendency to, to be insecure in our salvation, and therefore we have this tendency to begin to bite and devour each other. There's a, there's a million different facets to God's love. None of us will experience all of them. And there's a million different ways to enjoy it. And that's great. But it's really interesting to me how protective we get from, of the way that we enjoy it. And we show that protectiveness by being mad at the way other people do, right? And that could be theological, 
right? That could be, uh, you know, you don't understand, uh, you don't have all five points on your tulip. You're not really enjoying God. And they're like, well, I thought I was. And, and we're, we get mad at people for not believing the way we do. We get mad at people for not um, for not worshiping the way we do. You know, I'm from Tennessee, and, and some people in Tennessee, they don't think they're worshiping if they're not sweating. You know, they got to be dancing and running in place, and, and that's great. It's not me. They don't think I've ever worshiped, and I'm tempted to think they've never worshiped. And we can bite, and we can devour each other over who's doing it right, and we can miss the fact that right here we are in Jesus' presence. The fact that you're not doing it right can completely make me miss the fact that you are in Christ. I, uh, one year, uh, my brother decided that he was going to take his family on a trip on Christmas Eve, which was the unforgivable in our family. He was not going to be in my mom's house on Christmas Eve which was the law. We had a great dinner on December 23rd. And um, everybody was so mad at him that no one talked during dinner. And finally, I broke the ice and I said, what's going on? And, and you know, the, the accusations started flying and my brother went, I'm here now. I'm here now. Everybody was so mad that he wasn't going to be here tomorrow that you completely missed he's here now. And it's, it's easy for us to do that with each other. We get so mad that, that you did something wrong 10 years ago or that you're doing something not the way that I'm going to do it tomorrow that we miss the fact that we're right here. And that's the opposite of what God calls us to do. God calls us, he He. he he pours this love upon us, not so that we can lose each other, but so that we can do the only thing that matters, which is love each other. Love each other. It's fascinating that he says this. It doesn't matter circumcision or uncircumcision. There's a lot of things that means, but ultimately it means how you practice religion or don't practice it. It doesn't matter. Some of you like to keep days. Great. Some of you like Ash Wednesday. Awesome. Ain't nobody going to stick ashes on my face. That's gross doesn't matter. Meaningless. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. The only thing that matters is that I have received this embrace from God, and I'm going to share it, expressing itself in love. He says, if you keep this one law, love your neighbor as yourself, you're keeping the whole law. You can just do that because Christ is in this person, and if I love this person as myself, I'm loving him and Christ. And that's the only thing that matters. It's right there in the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's right there. He says it. But fight with the Apostle Paul. Don't fight with me. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're keeping the whole law. Don't bite and devour each other. If you're confident that, that you have all you need, and we share it with each other, And we embrace. And when we embrace, if I'm embracing you and you are in the embrace of Christ, I'm embracing Christ when I embrace you. 
And I get to experience it more. The reason why I exist, and you get to experience it more. The reason why you exist. We're in Him together. If we're confident that, that we have all we need, we're free to be generous. Generous with our stuff. Generous with our time. Generous with our hearts. I don't have to be withholding. I don't have to punish you by saying, I'm only going to love you if. And that knowledge that you're going to love me anyway frees me up to confess my sin to you in a way that will make me less likely to sin ever and in a way that's going to make you love me more which is the way that we enjoy the embrace of Christ even more. What does this life result in? It results in us enjoying this even more. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, sometimes we, we miss it. We just miss it. And our critical spirits that are so fast to point out what's wrong and our insecure hearts that just assume that we're missing something and so if only we could do one more thing, maybe. And in all that, we just miss it. And I pray, Father, that you would show us the things that are getting in our way and help us to remove them. I pray that you put our arm, your arm around us today and say, let's, let's finally begin to work on that weed, that one that you've been ignoring for a long time. Let's start it today. And Father, for the ones in here who have just been trying so hard to be good enough for you, I pray they'd stop trying and rest in your arms and let you be good enough for them. In the perfect and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.